Well, good morning. Well, we finally come to the end of our series, Chronicles. So, well done. Uh, been through First and Second Chronicles, a period that sort of goes from Adam all the way through to the uh, end of the exile in in 538 BC. So, a very long period of history history of the world, the history of God's people. And if you've been here the last two sessions that we've, we've gone through uh, Chronicles, you'll know that we've, we looked at the um, bad kings and good kings, and now we're going to look at mixed kings. So those that, the way the Chronicle records it is, there's good and bad. Now obviously every human being has good and bad, but the Chronicler uh, will sometimes just focus on the bad or just on the good. And here there's, there's a mixture. And they really fall into three categories. Some of the kings start really well and then end badly. Uh, one ends, uh, starts really badly and then ends well. And one starts well, hits a wobbly, and then recovers repents and ends well. And so uh, I think we can, we can learn a lot from their example. Obviously, we want to be those who end well. That's the most important thing. It's not how you start the race, but how you finish the race. It's no use starting well as a believer, following Christ, and then to, to fall away at the end. Uh, all of that then means nothing. It's, and also the good news... If you started badly, there's still hope you can end well. And so that's uh, what we want to do. So the first category are those who start well but end badly. And unfortunately, this is the largest group. Um, there are five kings in this group. Asa, Jehoshaphat, Joash, Amaziah, and Uzziah. We won't look at all of them. We'll look at three of them. Uzziah, we, we looked at his life uh, last week, as we saw it in contrast to his son Jotham, Jotham did not follow the example of his father. Uh, God worked in his life, so we I won't look at Uzziah. And Amaziah is quite a short account. Um, so let's look at Asa. Please turn to Second Chronicles chapter fourteen. Second Chronicles chapter fourteen. And really what we want to learn from this king's life, and we don't want to repeat his mistakes, we want to learn how to respond well to correction and chastening, and God's, God's discipline of us and God's correction of us. So 2 Chronicles chapter 14, from verse 1, Abijah slept with his fathers and they buried him in the city of David, and Asa his son reigned in his place. In his days, the land had rest for ten years. And Asa did what was good and right in the eyes of the Lord his God. So you can see he begins well. Uh, there is rest because of his faithfulness. He does what is right in the eyes of the Lord. Look at verse 3. He took away the foreign altars and the high places and broke down the pillars and cut down the asherim. So all the places where pagan worship was taking place, 
he, he destroyed them in Judah, verse 4, and commanded Judah to seek the Lord, the God of their fathers, and to keep the law and the commandments. He also took out of all the cities of Judah the high places and the incense altars, and the kingdom had rest under him. And he, uh, he builds cities, fortified cities, uh, so there's infrastructure development, the, the country is doing well. He says in verse 7, the land is still ours because we have sought the Lord our God. We have sought him and he has given us peace on every side. So they built and prospered. So because of the faithfulness of Asa, there is prosperity brought to the nation of Israel. There is security. Uh, As you carry on reading, you'll see that the Ethiopians send up a massive army to conquer Judah. In fact, the chronicler says a million men. Okay. So a huge army. They're vastly outnumbered. And uh, they cry out to the Lord. And God gives them victory. And so remember the chronicler. It's very important. That principle of crying out to God. Prayer. Seeking the Lord. And God undertaking. Uh, A lesson still to us today. To keep seeking the Lord. Cry out to Him. In the midst of trials and difficulties. Uh, He hears His children. And then in chapter 15. So jump down there to verse 1. We're told that the Spirit of God came upon Azariah, the son of Ode. So he, he comes as a prophet. And he comes to Asa and he says to him, Hear me, Asa, and all Judah and Benjamin. And he really gives this principle. The Lord is with you while you are with him. If you seek him, he will be found by you. But if you forsake him, he will forsake you. So a warning is given to Asa and an encouragement. Because look at verse 7. The prophet says to Asa, But you, take courage. Do not let your hands be weak, for your work shall be rewarded. So he's to be courageous. He's to carry on with what he's doing. To build and to reform and to establish God's truth in in Judah. But there is this warning that as long as he's with the Lord, the Lord will be with him. But if he turns away from the Lord, the Lord will turn away from, from him. So an important principle here as well, uh, not to abuse the grace of God. Uh, I was chatting to some brothers yesterday about this, this principle in the Bible. God's grace is, is huge and massive, and uh, the gospel is so glorious. In fact, when Paul uh, writes to the Romans, it is so amazing that the sort of question that arises is, well, if God's grace is so amazing, then you know, why, why can't we just carry on sinning so that grace may abound? And so there is that, that uh, sort of idea that God's grace should be so amazing in our eyes that we're almost tempted to carry on sinning because there's grace. But the rest of the Bible and the New Testament especially teaches us, no, if you truly understand grace, you will make every effort to stop sinning. You will fight. There was a theology from a place in England called Keswick. Keswick theology that said, let go and let God. Okay, so the idea was to be passive. You know, just let go. Let go. God will, God will sort everything out. You don't need to fight at all. Uh, and that's just not the teaching in the Bible. We're told to strive. We're told to fight. We are told to keep ourselves in the love of God. And here this principle is given to Asa. 
Seek the Lord and you will be found of him. But if you forsake him, he will forsake you. If you turn away from the Lord, he will turn away from you. Remember the Lord Jesus himself said, Seek and you will find. Knock and it will be opened to you. So there's strong warnings in scripture not to abuse the grace of God. Not to take his grace for granted. Now look at verse 8. As soon as Asa heard these words, the prophecy of Azariah, the son of Oded, he took courage. So he's encouraged initially. He's just been to a great service. The prophet has spoken and he's, he's encouraged now. He goes and he gets stuck in. He put away the detestable idols from all the land of Judah and Benjamin and from the cities and the hill country. And he repaired the altar of the Lord that was in front of the vestibule of the house of the Lord. And uh, verse 14, they swear an oath to serve the Lord. They're all rejoicing. It's just a glorious situation. He's responding to God's word. He's obeying God's word. Verse 16, just to show you how how faithful he is. Uh, Even Maka, his mother... King Asa removed from being queen mother because she had made a detestable image for for Asherah. Asa cut down her image, crushed it and burned it at the brook Kidron. So even his mother, even his close family relations, he's he's willing to to deal with that. He removes his, his mother from being the queen mother. He breaks down her altar to this false god, false goddess. Uh, and he destroys it. So he, he's serious. It's a radical act. It reminds us of Jesus saying, you know, unless you hate mother or father, you're not worthy of my kingdom. He's willing even to, to deal with his own mother. And so it's going so well here. Uh, it seems so good. He's doing everything that he's told to do. But then as we continue to read and 2 Chronicles chapter 16, verse 7. The prophet Hananiah comes to see him and says to him, because you relied on the king of Syria. So what he did was he, he made an alliance with the king of Syria against Israel. So Israel is going to come and fight against him. And so he makes an alliance with a pagan king, the king of Syria. And Hananiah says to him, because you relied on the king of Syria and did not rely on the Lord your God, the army of the king of Syria has escaped you. Were not the Ethiopians and the Libyans a huge army with very many chariots and horsemen? So he reminds him of these great victories he's already had. Where God gave him victory, there was no alliance, there was no other nation to help him. Yet because you relied on the Lord, he gave them into your hand. Verse 9, for the eyes of the Lord run to and fro throughout the whole earth to give strong support to those whose heart is blameless towards him. So he has another principle. If you're seeking the Lord, if you're fighting sin, the Lord is looking to help people like that. The Lord, notice the language here, obviously it's not literally true, the eyes of the Lord. Uh, God is a spirit, but it's the principle, the eyes of the Lord running to and fro throughout the whole earth to give strong support to those whose heart is blameless towards him. He has a motivation to be blameless. Now, blameless here is not perfection. Uh, we, can't, we can't reach that, the side of glory. But it's fighting sin. 
It's seeking the Lord. Here is a promise that the Lord is looking to help people as they fight sin. If you're fighting sin, God is there with you to help you. If you're seeking Him, He will be found of you. But now, Asa does not do that. You then have done, you have done foolishly in this, for from now on you will have wars. Now the problem is how Asa responds. Look at verse 10. Then Asa was angry with the seer and put him in the stocks in prison. He throws him into jail. So everything we've read, this man who, who responded to the previous prophet, responded so well, obeyed. Now the prophet comes to correct him to say, look, you've sinned. And there's consequences to sin. There's always consequences to sin. He says you've sinned and now there's going to be consequences. And he responds with anger. And he throws him in jail. He was in a rage with him because of this. And he begins to inflict cruelties upon some of the people at the same time. You see, he couldn't take correction or the consequences of his sin. And he becomes cruel and angry. So you want to endure to the end? You and I need to learn how to take correction properly. How to respond to correction. I heard a Dietrich Bonhoeffer quote. I wish I'd written it down now. Dietrich Bonhoeffer, he was murdered by the Germans and Nazis. He was a, he was a Christian pastor. And he said this. There is nothing more loving than confronting someone in their sin. There is nothing more hateful than leaving someone in their sin. Okay. He said it better than that. Okay. <laughs> I got the gist of it. Uh, and that's the truth. Do you think like that? We think the opposite. Well, I don't want to hurt someone's feelings. I'm, I love them so much I don't want to hurt their feelings. I'll let them carry on in their sin. Now, of course, there's ways to do it. Of course, if we're ugly and horrible and we confront people in a, in a self-righteous, horrible way, that's, that's not, not right. But uh, we are com- called to confront one another. Paul says that in Romans 15. It's persuaded of the Romans that they have knowledge and goodness and they're able to admonish one another, literally to confront one another in love for their sin. And if you don't respond well to that, if you become angry, you will become cruel as well. You start to become uglier, don't you? You don't respond to God's correction. It's not as though you get better. You become a nastier person. And that's exactly how Asa responds. You want to endure to the end? Learn to receive correction well. Proverbs is full of that. It's the wise man who receives correction. Don't you want to be better? And that's true in every sphere of life, not just moral, just in, in, in your teacher correcting you in your maths. Don't get upset. Learn from it. Don't you want to do better at maths? You don't want to go through your whole life getting it wrong. You want to do better at engineering, you want to do better at music, you want to do better at any sphere of life, at sport, at preaching. Don't get upset when people correct you and say, that was a silly illustration. It had nothing to do with the sermon. What were you thinking? Okay. <laughs> I've never had that though, so I don't. <laughs> but 
correction is critical. We have to learn to take it. Why it's the why. It shows that you're not wise if you can't be corrected. You're a fool. The wise person receives correction. He should have said, yes, what a fool I have been. Like David, isn't that... We always wrestle with that. Why is David a man after God's own heart? Like, the things he did, why? We've already seen as we've gone through the life of that. Because he was, when he was confronted, he was quick to repent. He didn't justify it. He was quick to repent. The Lord does not give up on Asa. Look at verse 11. The acts of Asa from first to last are written in the book of the kings of Judah and Israel. In the 39th year of his reign, Asa was diseased in his feet. And his disease became severe. Yet even in his disease, he did not seek the Lord but sought help from physicians. Now, this isn't a verse saying, don't go to doctors. Uh, What it's saying is, God was chastening him because of his sin. And sometimes God does that. 1 Corinthians 11 says, sometimes he makes us sick. Not all sickness is chastening, but sometimes it is. 1 Corinthians 11 says that. Okay, This was chastening. God was chasing after him. Disciplining him to say, come back. Turn back to me. And God does that. He puts us in situations, trials, difficulties, sickness, struggles, to say, seek me. And even in the midst of this, he refused. He would not seek the Lord. But seek the Lord. The writer of Hebrews says this, Hebrews 12 verse 11, his whole section on discipline. It's not nice, discipline. The writer of Hebrews says that. It's not pleasant. Uh, if you enjoy being disciplined, there's something wrong with you. Okay? It's not nice. It's painful. The writer of Hebrews says it's painful. He says in verse 11, For the moment all discipline seems painful rather than pleasant, but later it yields the peaceful fruit of righteousness to those who have been trained by it. You know that discipline can be wasted on a person? We know that in life, that there are people who just keep get thrown in jail over and over and over again. It does nothing to them. Children who get hidings and hidings, and it doesn't change them. It's sometimes, it says, it's only fruitful, it only produces righteousness if you learn from it, if you're trained by it. If when God chastens you, when you're corrected, you learn from it, then it's fruitful. That pain will produce something beautiful and good. So that's the first lesson we can learn. Learn to respond well to correction and God's chastening of you. You want to endure to the end? Learn to respond well. The next king is Jehoshaphat. Chapter 17 through 20 talks about him. Really the lesson from Jehoshaphat is don't have ungodly alliances. So, to bring that down to us, uh, it's not to say don't have ungodly friends. Don't have ungodly friends that lead you into sin. Okay. So, let's look at Jehoshaphat, chapter 17, verse 1. Jehoshaphat, his son, reigned in his place and strengthened himself against Israel. He placed forces and fortifies the cities. Verse 3, the Lord was with Jehoshaphat because he walked in the earlier ways of his father David. He did not seek the Baals, the false gods, 
but sought the God of his father and walked in his commandments and not according to the practices of Israel. Therefore the Lord established the kingdom in his hand. And all Judah brought tribute to Jehoshaphat, and he had great riches and honor. His heart was courageous in the ways of the Lord. And furthermore, he took the high places and the ashram out of Judah. So again, starts off so well. He's walking in the ways of David, doing the right thing, destroying the the ashram. Uh, It looks so good. And then we carry on reading, and he makes an alliance with Ahab. Now remember, Ahab was a king of Israel. So uh, Ahab was a bad, bad king. Remember, his wife was Jezebel. But he makes an alliance with Ahab to fight the Syrians. So they they join together. They say, we're going to fight the Syrians together so we can win. They get prophets to tell them, it's going to be great. You're going to win. And they, they even discuss, you know, but isn't there another prophet? And he says, yeah. Ahab says, yeah, there's one prophet, but I hate him because he always tells me what I don't want to hear. Okay. <laughs> and uh, they call him. And uh, this prophet Micaiah says to them, because the other prophets say to him, you know, tell the king the right thing. So when he arrives, he says, you're going to win, king. And he says, no, tell me the truth. I know you're just joking. And so he says, actually, you're going to lose and, and you're going to die. And they're not happy with that. But the Lord, the Lord had told them what will happen. And yet, Jehoshaphat still goes into battle with, with Ahab. He makes this alliance with this ungodly king and he goes against the true prophet. In the middle of the battle, he, he's in a lot of trouble. But in the middle of the battle, he cries out to the Lord, and the Lord hears him, and the Lord delivers him. He is not put to death. But look at verse 1 of chapter 19. Jehoshaphat, the king of Judah, returned in safety to his house in Jerusalem. But Jehu, the son of Hananiah the seer, went out to meet him and said to King Jehoshaphat, Should you help the wicked and love those who hate the Lord? Because of this, wrath has gone out against you from the Lord. Nevertheless, some good is found in you, for you destroyed the Asherahs out of the land and have set your heart to seek God. So there's restraint. He's cried out to God. It's good. He's repented. He, He wants to seek the Lord. You think he would have learned his lesson. Don't make alliances with wicked kings. Okay? But he does not learn his lesson. Go to chapter 20, verse 35. After this, Jehoshaphat, king of Judah, joined with Ahaziah, king of Israel, who acted wickedly. He's doing exactly the same thing. He's joining again with the king of Israel, an evil king. He joined him in, in building ships to go to Tarshish. That was to get gold. And they built the ships in Ezion-Geber. Then Eliezer, the son of Dodavu, Dodavahu, sorry, of Marashah, prophesied against Jehoshaphat, saying, Because you have joined with Ahaziah, the Lord will destroy what you have made. And the ships were wrecked and were not able to go to Tarshish. He did not learn his lesson. And so he ends badly. Now what's the application for us? 
So it's not to say, the Bible doesn't teach, you know, Christians shouldn't have friends who are unbelievers. Okay? Then nobody would be saved. How are you going to reach the lost? Uh, we must love even our enemies. So it's not that at all. Don't leave here thinking that at all. We need, we need God's people as you go out back into university and to the workplace. Befriend. Remember what they said of Jesus, a friend of sinners. Okay? Befriend those who don't know the Lord. Show that you love them. Sometimes we think, well, I don't really care about the person. I just want them to get saved. They'll see through that, that you don't actually care for them. You're just like, it's, uh, we've just got to tell them about Jesus. That's not, that's not going to show the love of Christ to them. That's just ticking a box. So let me encourage you to befriend uh, unbelievers, but with tremendous wisdom. Because if an, an unbeliever is pulling you down and you're not pulling them up, that's what happened with these relationships, with Ahab and Isaiah. They pull them down. You need to break off those relationships. If it's an ungodly, unhealthy relationship, break it off. 1 Corinthians 15.33 Do not be deceived. Bad company ruins good morals. Proverbs 13.20 Whoever walks with the wise becomes wise, but the companion of fools will suffer harm. If your best friends are unbelievers, that's a problem. If your, if your closest heart-to-heart is with someone who hates God, that's a problem. Okay. A big problem. You're walking with fools and you will come to ruin. Learn from this king. And that, let me talk about romantic relationships. Okay, because the Bible is very clear on that one. Okay. There's no such thing as missionary dating. Okay. <laughs> I'll win them. Uh, and I've told you before the example of Charles Spurgeon where a young lady came into his study she was a believer and she said this guy is so amazing da, 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 da. he's not a believer and she said but, but I, I'll change him okay? uh, and he said to her um, climb up onto my desk and so she climbed up onto his desk and he put his hand out. If you've seen, you can go and Google pictures of Charles Spurgeon. He wasn't the smallest guy. Okay. He held out his hand. He said, pull me up. She couldn't do it. So he said, I'll pull you down. And of course, it was super easy. Okay. That's just a principle. Never mind that God says it's wrong. It's a principle. It's much easier to pull people down and to pull people up. Okay. You want to endure to the end? Be careful with your friends. Make sure that Christ is your dearest friend. There's a friend that sticks closer than a brother. That's the Lord Jesus Christ. There's no, no other friend who will do what Christ has done for you. Who even can do what Christ has done for us. Make sure that He's the one that you are bearing your heart to the most. Look, He knows it all, but you... He wants you to come and bring it to Him. All your desires, all your dreams, all your fears, all your sin, all your brokenness, all your delights. Bring it to Him. Confess it to Him. Cry out to Him. 
He will never leave you nor forsake you. He will never uh, dismiss you. Okay. One of the things, as if you're a parent, it's easy to, to dismiss your children because you're busy. And then before you realize it, they're 20 years old. Anyway. <laughs> you're like, why did I do that? Why did I dismiss them? That thing, that thing, I could have waited. I could have done it a little bit later. The Lord will never dismiss you. Okay. Isn't that amazing? He slumbers not nor sleeps. You wake up at 3 o'clock in the morning, you can't sleep. He's there. Okay. You can talk to Him. You can cry out to Him. Make sure He is your nearest and dearest friend. Okay. And then after that, other brothers and sisters who love the Lord... The next king we can learn from is Joash. I, I battle to try and think of a pithy way to, to put his, the lesson we can learn, but I, I couldn't. So the problem with, well, the problem with Joash is his relationship with God was mediated through someone else. Okay. So the lesson for us is make sure you have your own relationship with God, not a relationship that is mediated through someone else. Okay. If that's not all clear, hopefully it will become clearer as we go through his example. I'll give you some context to Joash. Uh, Jehu had killed the previous king, Ahaziah. So Ahaziah's mother, Athaliah, had killed the royal family of Judah and become queen. She was a, a, quite a nasty lady. So she had quite ruthless that all these the, the royal family killed. She becomes queen, but she missed one. Joash escaped. He was a baby. His mom got him away, and so he escaped. And he is raised by a priest, Jehoiada. And uh, Jehoiada, uh, after several years, overthrows Athaliah and has her killed. And reinstalls the correct king, and it's Joash. So look at chapter 24, verse 1. Joash was seven years old when he began to reign, and he reigned for 40 years in Jerusalem. His mother's name was Zibiah of Beersheba. And Joash did what was right in the eyes of the Lord all the days of Jehoiada the priest. Now that's very important. If you're reading this for the first time, it, it maybe it doesn't stand out so much, but it it's noteworthy that it says he did what was right in the eyes of the Lord all the days of Jehoiada the priest. There's a qualification there. He doesn't do what is right in the eyes of the Lord all the days of his life. It's only while Jehoiada the priest is alive. Jump down to verse 15. So while Jehoiada is alive, he serves the Lord. He listens to Jehoiada. Jehoiada is a godly man. He does what Jehoiada says. He sorts things out. But look at verse 15. But Jehoiada grew old and full of days and died. He was 130 years old at his death. And they buried him in the city of David among the kings. Because he had done good in Israel and towards God and his house. Now after the death of Jehoiada, the princes of Judah came and paid homage to the king. Then the king listened to them. And they abandoned the house of the Lord, the God of their fathers. And served the Asherim and the idols. And wrath came upon Judah and Jerusalem for this guilt of theirs. And then you see the kindness of the Lord. 
yet he sent prophets among them to bring them back to the Lord. These testified against them, but they would not pay attention. Then the Spirit of God clothed Zechariah, the son of Jehoiada. So now the son of Jehoiada, this man who raised him, this man who restored the throne to him, this man who loved the Lord and helped him, his son comes now to Joash. And he says to, uh, Zechariah says to them, Thus says God, why do you break the commandments of the Lord so that you cannot prosper? Because you have forsaken the Lord, he has forsaken you. Remember, we saw that principle earlier on. But they conspired against him, and by command of the king, they stoned him with stones in the court of the house of the Lord. In the temple, they stone him to death under command of Joash. He kills the son of his mentor. Thus Joash the king did not remember the kindness that Jehoiada, Zechariah's father, had shown him, but killed his son. And when he was dying, he said, May the Lord see and avenge. And God does judge Joash. He started off well, but ended badly. And the pivotal moment is the death of Jehoiada. Maybe you've seen that. I've seen that in people's lives. There's either they're linked to, to an institution or a person, and when that person is gone or they're no longer part of that institution, you realize they had no real faith. The only thing holding them to, to Christ were other people or other things. So I think this can be especially true of children in Christian homes. We are, we are credo-baptists. We believe in believers' baptism. We believe that, that there is a special blessing upon children of a believing parent from 1 Corinthians 7. But we believe that salvation is individual. Every human being must repent and believe. God will not do it for you. Your parents can't do it for you. Your best friend can't do it for you. Your mentor can't do it for you. You must repent and believe. You must have a relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ. If you don't, when that person dies or moves or whatever happens, it will, it will all come crashing down. It will be exposed that you didn't know the Lord. So let me, let me challenge you on that. Encourage you, make sure you have your own relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ. Okay? Make sure that you are seeking the Lord. That you know him. Don't rely on, on others. Your grandparents, your parents, your spouse. Your small group. The pastor. How many, how many people are often caught up in that? It's through the pastor. You know, they basically can't do anything without the pastor. Every, every one of us must have our own relationship with the Lord. And then... That works out in community. And, and yes, we need one another. We've already seen that. Make sure you have godly friends. But don't confuse having lots of Christian friends with having a relationship with Jesus Christ. Seek Him. You want to endure to the end, to remain faithful? I've seen it as well. People, people uh, will, will move to a, another city. And their whole life 
their, their, their faith falls apart. Another country. And what you find is the only thing that was holding it together was the structure of the church. And other people like chasing up after them. And the moment that's, a, that's removed, it falls apart. They didn't know the Lord. Okay, so that's, that's the negative ones. That's, we don't want to be those, okay? Uh, we don't want to end well. It's one of the biggest things in my life. I've always, I want to end well. Don't you? I, maybe you don't think like that. I want to end well. I want to be a good wine that gets better with age. Not vinegar, okay? I don't want to go off at the end. It's a real thing. The longer you serve the Lord, the, the more you see your sin, the more you, you, the more you realize it's a marathon and not a sprint. The more you see, wait a minute, I, I've got to keep going. When you're a young Christian, it's very, I'm just going to serve the Lord, it's going to be great, I'm going to marry a Christian, I'm going to do this, we're going to have Christian kids, they're going to be pastors and... Uh, <laughs> missionaries and this is going to happen and that's going to happen and uh, it's going to be amazing and then you can't run on just on that feeling life begins to happen disappointments, hurts those that endure to the end will be saved it is, Paul says, I've run the race I've fought the fight those are not passive words. They, 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 they speak of pain, don't they? Okay. Running the comrades is painful. Okay? You never see people running and smiling at the same time. Okay? They all lie to us later. Oh, it was amazing. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but fighting fought the good fight. It's painful. Wrestling. You wrestled. So it's, it's to persevere, to end well. And there are examples. You, maybe, maybe it's been a nightmare up to this point. Well, let's look at Manasseh. Here's some encouragement for you. I don't think you could be as bad as Manasseh. In fact, in the Scriptures, Manasseh becomes the proverb for evil king. Like, they will always talk about him as evil as Manasseh. Or, okay, that's, that's how bad he was. Look at chapter 33. Manasseh was 12 years old when he began to reign, and he reigned for 55 years in Jerusalem. Isn't that interesting? Sometimes you get a good king and he only reigns a few years. You get a, this evil king and he reigns 55 years you say, Lord, I don't understand. But that happens. And he did what was evil in the sight of the Lord, according to the abominations of the nations whom the Lord drove out before the people of Israel. So the Canaanites who were in the land before. There's a reason why God didn't give the land of Canaan to Abraham straight away. Abraham's just got a little piece of land where he could bury his wife. The, the Lord says, because their evil, their iniquity has not arisen to the place of judgment yet. They were not as bad as they needed to be for God to destroy them. 
But after Israel had been in, in, enslaved for 400, over 400 years, they were ripe for judgment. And the abomin- we know some of the abominations. They were, it was horrific. Human sacrifice, violent, violent people. And so God comes and says it's time for judgment. And now we're told Manasseh behaved like them, the nations that were there before. Verse 3, he rebuilt the high places that his father Hezekiah had broken down. And he erected altars to the Baals and made Asherahs and worshipped all the hosts of heaven and served them. And he, he built altars in the temple. Look at verse 6. And he burned his sons as an offering in the valley of the son of Hinnom. He sacrifices his own sons to these false gods. And used fortune telling and omens and sorcery and dealt with mediums and with necromancers. He did much evil in the sight of the Lord, provoking him to anger. And puts an idol in the temple. And um, Verse 9, Manasseh led Judah and the inhabitants of Jerusalem astray to do more evil than the nations whom the Lord had destroyed before the people of Israel. He was worse than the Canaanites. In one generation, he takes them back to being worse than the nations that were there before, the pagans. Verse 10, the Lord spoke to Manasseh and to his people, but they paid no attention. Therefore, the Lord brought upon them the commanders of the army of the king of Assyria, who captured Manasseh with hooks and bound him with chains of bronze and brought him to Babylon. We know that from reliefs and that they would actually take hooks and put them through the flesh. Uh, That's how they would link the, the prisoners of war. So when it talks about hooks in the Bible, these Assyrian kings, these Babylonian kings, they literally did that. They would literally take steel hooks, put them through the flesh, and then a chain would be hooked to the next. You know, you're not really easily going to run away when it could rip your flesh. That's what they do to him. But look at what it says. And they brought him to Babylon. And when he was in distress... He entreated the favor of the Lord his God and humbled himself greatly before the God of his fathers. He prayed to him. Look at this. And God was moved by his entreaty and heard his plea and brought him again to Jerusalem into his kingdom. Then Manasseh knew that the Lord was God. This is amazing. Amazing grace. What a wretch. This is where people battle with Christianity, don't they? We say this, it's true. That if Hitler repented on his deathbed, he will be in glory. People don't like that. But if you're a sinner, then it's good news. If you know you're a sinner, it's good news. Maybe your life has been wretched up to now. There is forgiveness. God will be moved if you humble yourself and cry out for mercy. And so he is saved. And so... Again, if you've started badly, it's okay. It's not like the 100 meters. You start badly, it's finished. There's no recovery. (laughs) It's over. By the time you recover, they're finished. Christianity is not like that. If you've started badly, it's okay. Repent. Now. Know His grace. And you can end well. Just quickly, the last one. Maybe you started well, but now you've hit that wobbly. You've 
you, 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 you're sinning. You're crashing a bit. Well, Hezekiah did that. We don't have time to go through all the passages, but Hezekiah, a lot of airtime is given to Hezekiah. Hezekiah is one of the good guys, one of the great kings. There's very few. There's David, Hezekiah, and Josiah. Those are the sort of big three. Hezekiah is a good king. Does a lot good. Uh, restoration of the temple, the Passover celebrated. He breaks down the high places. He reorganizes the priests. But uh, pride is found in his heart. Look at Second Chronicles 32, verse 24. In those days, Hezekiah became sick and was at the point of death. And he prayed to the Lord and he answered him and gave him a sign. But Hezekiah did not make return according to the benefits done to him, for his heart was proud. So he's very sick, sick unto death, and he prays and the Lord heals him. You can read about it in Isaiah as well. The Lord, the Lord heals him, but then he makes an alliance with Babylon. So he doesn't say, Lord, thank you so much for healing me. I'm going to trust you totally. It's a miracle. The Lord heals him. He was going to die. Instead, he still makes a relationship with the Babylonians. And so the Lord says, okay, well, the Babylonians are going to. I'm going to use them to judge Judah. Because of what? Because of pride. Isn't it easy when God is so kind to us? Haven't you noticed that? God will do something amazing. Maybe it's a job you've been looking for or a relationship or something. And God works. And we quickly forget, don't we? Become proud. Therefore wrath came upon him in Judah and Jerusalem. Verse 26. But Hezekiah humbled himself for the pride of his heart. Both he and the inhabitants of Jerusalem. So that the wrath of the Lord did not come upon them in the days of Hezekiah. So there it is. The same principle. Humble yourself. Repent before the Lord. Have a good ending. Now, this is probably, you know, this is our pattern of our lives, really. Ups and downs. But we want to, we want to make the valleys a bit less deep, don't we? Okay. I think that's what sanctification is. You're not going to become sinlessly perfect, but at least we can make the, the path a bit flatter. Okay. It's not, we don't go so far down. We, we're, we're fighting a bit more, a bit more. And the way to victory is to humble ourselves. Now, the book ends... Chapter 36 is the last, the last chapter. Now, in, if you have the, just the ordinary Bible, that, that uh, English Bible, the last book of the Old Testament is the book of Malachi. If you are Jewish and you grew up with the Jewish scriptures, the last book of what we call the Old Testament is Chronicles. This chapter is actually the last chapter in the Old Testament for the Jews. Don't worry, it's all the same material, just different order. Okay, so don't, don't worry, it's not that we've added or anything that's been lost. This is how the Old Testament ends. It ends, this last chapter is very bad. The, the, there's four kings that short for a very short, uh, serve for a very short period of time. They're wicked. God judges them and then there's the destruction of Jerusalem. And they're taken into captivity. But, look at verse 22. 
Now in the first year of Cyrus, king of Persia, that the word of the Lord by the mouth of Jeremiah might be fulfilled, the Lord stirred up the spirit of Cyrus, king of Persia, so that he made a proclamation throughout all his kingdom and also put it in writing. Thus says Cyrus, king of Persia, the Lord, the God of heaven, has given me all the kingdoms of the earth, and he has charged me to build him a house at Jerusalem, which is in Judah. Whoever is among you of all of his people, may the Lord his God be with him. Let him go up. So after 70 years in captivity in Babylon, a new empire arises, the Medo-Persian Empire under this King Cyrus. And he says to the Jews, you can go home and rebuild the temple. And that's how the Old Testament ends. Go home, rebuild the temple. So we are left, and remember the original audience are encouraged, are encouraged to rebuild the temple. But we are left waiting for a, a proper good king and a final temple. And all of those come together in the person of Jesus Christ. Because when you go and read the prophets after this, it's still a mess. And so they're left waiting for a king and a temple. What's a temple? It's a temple is a place where you meet with God. And the temple becomes a person. You want to know God? It is only through Jesus Christ. It's not through a geographical location or some mystical thing or some ritual. It's to know Christ, the good king, the perfect king. And we live on that, this side of, the other side of, the coming of Christ. So you and I, if you're a child of God, we can go to him. We have access to God through Jesus Christ. The most amazing thing. Just lastly, because it's just, just, I was just thinking on it the other day. It just blew my mind. You know, if, if you know someone famous, so I don't want to embarrass anyone, but I do tell a lot of people, a professional soccer player comes to our church. Okay. <laughs> you can speak to me later if you want to know who it is. And then I was just thinking, but I know the Lord Jesus Christ. Isn't it amazing? I don't know the King of England. I don't know uh, our, our president. I don't know the ministers. I don't know the heads of giant multinationals. I don't. But I know the King of Kings and Lord of Lords. I know him and I have access to him anytime I like, day or night. It just, it just blew my mind again. Like, wow, what, how privileged are we? Don't take that for granted. We have access to him. The king has come. He is good. We have access to God. Stay humble. You will endure to the end. Amen. Let's pray. Father, we thank you so much for your word. We thank you for the lessons. We do pray that Not one person here, not one person at Heritage would fall away at the end. May we all endure to the end, Lord. Give us grace, keep us humble, keep us looking to you, Lord Jesus. We thank you that if we seek you, we will be found of you. Thank you for these promises. Amen.